1: Miss the show, no worries. We've got you covered on point. And on the podcast, more lockdown measures are coming and schools will stay shut down for a few more weeks. This all could have been avoided. And a number of experts are saying this is the absolute wrong approach and will do more damage. But what does it mean for employees who can't afford to take the time off? And what obligation does your employer have to help you? And he predicted Donald Trump would leave office in a scorched earth. Well, I don't even think Donald Trump's loyalists thought he would do what happened on Wednesday. Let's get talking.
2: What's your point? You just don't ever get to point. Am I getting through
3: to
4: you? That's the point. Do you understand? And there is a point. That point where enough is enough.
0: Here's Alex
2: Pearson on Global News Radio.
4: Again, folks, we will get through it. Number one priority is not to put our kids in jeopardy. And I will never do that, especially at the rates we're seeing. We're seeing the numbers climb. Again, I want to repeat what I said. Young kids under 13, positivity rate is up towards 20 percent one in five kids are showing covid right now
1: sorry but parents are not getting through anything with anybody these days but uh, hey you may soon see a russian straitjackets because ford who insisted kids are going back to school monday well they've canceled classes alex spears are with you on this thursday january 7th and a day where um I've been back a day and I feel like I've worked a month. It's like, I woke up this morning uh, and I don't remember the last time I had a hangover, but I felt hungover. And I remembered I had nothing to drink. I had absolutely no fun, but that's how, t- that's how, how tiring <laughs> Wednesday was. It was just nonstop news, certainly out of Washington. But there was also a huge amount of news here at home. It just didn't get the coverage. I had a whole show prepared Wednesday. That got tossed out the window by about three o'clock and uh, started everything from scratch. But you know, we were just every- watching everything south uh, of the border, and of course, like millions of you out there, we were also homeschooling. So if you ever wondered what hell it was like, uh, we're starting to get a taste of it. And uh, we'll talk about the fallout of what we're seeing stateside throughout the show. It's it, there's such anger in the United States, and it's not going away anytime soon. And this this fantasy of impeaching the president is not going to happen. He's there for 14 more days. So I, I see this as a lot of political theater. Um, and it's not going to do anything. It's not going to change anything. And then there are others who say, you know, there's a real double standard as to what kind of protest is acceptable, um, what is condemned and what is not. But we'll go through some of those different angles throughout of the show. But of course, the big news here, confirming parents and children's worst fears is that, yeah, they're not going back to school as we'd been told pretty much up until Monday, Tuesday, um, cause we were getting the emails that the kids were going back. Kids are going back on the 11th and I was so excited and that's not going to happen now until at least January 25th. And for a lot of moms and dads, and I think it's probably a few more moms, this means pulling, weeks and weeks of double duty, you know, you got to do your everyday job. And this is assuming that you can work from home, and then also teaching your kids, which is a complete full time job in itself. And that's why I took the first couple of days off of this week, it was so I could get my son online and get organized. And I, I completely lost my sanity by the end of Tuesday. I, I just don't understand how it is 10 months into this thing. This is the best we get. I mean, I'm not condemning my kids' teachers. They are terrific, but, I mean, it is, uh, it's lacking, I mean, in 2021. I, it might be a bit easier for the older kids, but I can tell you the online is just, uh, it's a real nightmare for the young kids. You know, I've got my son at moments where he's staring off into space, and he sits at my desk, because it's really the only desk where he can work, um, and when he's not staring off into space, he then starts playing with my radio equipment, and, he's, and he sings karaoke, uh, which he does while on mute and he, and when he's not singing it then he's taking my scissors and cutting up whatever you can find or he's doodling on my desk or there the, or the, there's the never ending snack time or bathroom break. It, I mean it's like it's like herding wild kittens. And then of course you've got to manage this never ending schedule that changes every single day or the never ending links that you get sent to different classes. It's it's a full-time job. And I feel like I can't speak for anyone else. I just feel like I'm doing it blindfolded. You know, my t- my hands are tied behind my back because I'm also trying to do my other job. And, oh, yeah, there's a lot going on. And for other parents, it's even worse. I feel for other parents. I mean, what do you do if you work shift work? You know, like what if you're working a shift work where you work nights and then you come home and normally you would sleep during the day. And, oh, oh yeah, I've got to stay up all day with my child to make sure that they're doing their, their work. Um, or what if you do... You know, what happens if you can't sit with them? I mean, you've got to take a day off work. You know, if you work in a grocery store or something, you're taking the day off so you can sit home um, and not get paid. I mean, there are a ton of problems with this, and I don't know what these people are going to do. But this is, I think, the worst. Well, we're not quite at the worst-case scenario, not yet. But as I said, it was up until pretty much... Tuesday evening, that the Ford government—they were still sending out emails saying kids will get back on the 11th in the elementary schools. But then today, uh, Premier Ford uh, came out when he was talking about vaccines and and arguing that kids, especially age 12 to 13, are testing uh, way way higher.
4: So I, I will never, ever, ever sacrifice our kids going back to school if the the health table and the doctors are telling me not to do it, folks. There was proof in the pudding. Before the Christmas holidays, you know, we 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 saw positive, positivity rates of three percent. Now the information I received, as of late yesterday afternoon, that has jumped a hundred and sixteen percent. Great.
1: Apparently, this is a due in th- in part thanks to all the Christmas visiting people did. You know, because we know the cases are not being created in the schools. It is happening in the community. And then it was being brought into the schools. But we know where it's happening. We know that the cases are being, um, a lot of them are are in these big workplaces. You know, and, and those in charge, just ignore this. That That's where they should be targeting all their energy. And they just, they just aren't. It's like, oh, well, uh, we'll uh, deal with those later. And shutting down schools might please the unions. And it might look like the smart thing to do as cases go up. But it's not going to solve the problem. It's just going to create more, and it's certainly not going to solve the problem in two weeks. So, uh, you know, I heard a lot of words like hope today. We're doing this with the goal of you know the, the hope we can bring cases down, with the hope that we can shore up uh, resources. The hope, uh, stop stop working on hope, okay? We don't want hope ten months into this thing. You know. And I think parents at this point have to prepare that this is probably going to go on longer. And Ford says, he said it there, he's not going to sacrifice kids' safety. But keeping kids out of school is sacrificing them. I have already seen it, and I I can only speak to my own personal, you know, experience. I can't speak for anyone else, but I've already seen the adverse effects. I've got a child who's way behind in learning, even though we hire an extra tutor. A lot of... Uh, that class that he was in the last year, they have to redo large parts of grade one because they're far behind in the curriculum while they're in grade two. There's this lack of structure, lack of social interaction that the kids desperately need. Not even just the young kids, the high school kids need it. Um, you know, when I picked him up for his last day of class before the holidays, he was collecting all his stuff and pictures and, you know, wishing everyone Merry Christmas. And he broke down crying, and I was like, "What is wrong?" And he and he said it was he was so scared that that was going to be his last day of school and that he would not be going back. He was scared he wasn't going to see his teachers again or his friends, and he was so lonely in that first shutdown. So lonely. Yeah, he's an only child, and he couldn't go out, couldn't play, couldn't interact, couldn't have a birthday party, and so like a lot of children, I mean, he just started to withdraw. You know, he'd cry of of loneliness, saying like, "I don't want anyone to play with." And I've heard a lot of parents with the very, very same anxieties and stories. So, yeah, a lot of people will argue this is crucial. But there's going to be a generational cost because of these measures, not just to the young kids, but to all of them. And some, I think, will see the damage right away. And I think other parts of the damage are going to show up years from now. You know? And Ford makes his decisions. He's led by his experts. But there are a number of doctors And I'll speak with one of them tonight who have issued a letter and it's in the National Post imploring the province not to keep the kids out of school, even on a short term -term basis, because they are already seeing such adverse effects of mental health issues. They're seeing increased anxiety, depression, suicide. I was reading an article the other day about eating disorders are up. And they cite numerous studies that have been... uh, Taken around the world, showing this growing illiteracy in, in uh, just re- reading and math delays and the threat to lower-income kids where dropout rates are now on the rise. Kids are missing it on food programs, on protection from abuse at home. We know domestic violence is up. We see the headlines of how many women have been killed. And, you know, you can assume that there are children probably in some of those home spaces. Schools often protect children because the teachers can report incidents of abuse. And, you know, with children at home, that that kind of protection doesn't exist. And so they're suggesting that uh, long run, you know, we're going to have a generation of kids who are going to graduate later, struggle to find jobs and, and ultimately make less money. So yeah, there's a sacrifice being done here. And sadly, the kids are paying the price for it
3: and the fact that we kept schools open from September to December uninterrupted with 80% of schools not having a solitary case of COVID, 99 plus percent of kids not having a, case of a an active case at all, that demonstrates the plan has worked. But profile of risk has changed and we are now very much in a different reality and that's why I'm committing, as I have for a month, to build up the plan that includes province-wide testing, more investment, more cleaning, everything, more air ventilation, everything's on the table to get these kids back. That is our commitment.
1: That's uh, education Stephen Lecce, who um, up until uh, you know yesterday had been telling parents kids will be back in school on the 11th. And now apparently with community spread out of control, uh, they're shutting down the schools. And I think it's clear that lockdowns seem to be the measure of choice for the Ford government, even though, you know, the WHO, which I don't say a lot of great stuff about, even they say these should be a last resort. But, you know, worse, they're kind of a go to thing that don't end. And now we close schools until at least January 25th, albeit I think it's going to be longer. And the premier argues that kids age 12 to 13, uh, they're starting to see one in five get the uh, virus. So he's not going to sacrifice their safety. But in closing schools, even if it's just for a short time, that is exactly what he's doing. I mean, optically, it may look good to people May you know, like we're protecting kids from COVID, uh, COVID. and that's the advice he's taking from his experts, but there are a number of children's doctors speaking out warning that this is going to be damaging for a lifetime for millions of kids that they are seeing suffering a myriad of mental health issues uh failing and falling behind in school, uh, or kids just simply falling through the cracks, and they are pushing back against this. Dr. Neil Rao is one of those doctors. He's an assistant professor at the Department of Medicine at the University of Toronto. He joins us now. Good to have you, Doctor. Hi there. You have uh, written and you're one of a number of doctors who have written a, a letter posted in the National Post today talking about the dangers of closing schools. There's a jumping point where people say, no, we have to shut the schools because cases are too too high. What do you say to them?
3: I, I think this is absolute insanity what has been decided on today. I'm, I'm really upset about it. Um, of course, the letter had no impact on the decision. They've extended online schooling, which is almost like shutting a business. We should think about it in the same way as a very harmful thing to do to kids. Even if the positivity rate has gone up in kids, the cases be damned, we should be opening the schools. Kids have to go to school. We can't stop their education or change their education to an online form forever. It's very clear that more affluent people weather this better than those who are not affluent. When kids can't go to school, people who are not affluent have a really hard time getting childcare. And we can talk all about support mechanisms for people, how we can make it work. Those people are often uh, not having digital access. They don't have the same home environment that's quiet where they can learn properly online. It's not the same. They lose out on socialization, verbal development, interaction, one-on-one. There are a whole bunch of harms that go on. I'm actually an adult infectious disease specialist with older adult kids, but I am still incredibly bothered by the fact that we, first of all, extended the, the Christmas break, and then couldn't get ourselves out of it. It's almost like a skier who goes out of bounds at a resort, and the more they ski, the deeper and deeper into trouble they get. And that's what is happening with every one of these restrictive measures that we're doing. We keep getting in deeper and deeper, and we can't get out of trouble, and we double down on our efforts. It's like a sunk cost. The other big point I want to make is that if the rates went up over the holidays, that's when the kids were out of school. How did mm-hmm. they go up over the holidays? We're actually creating an extended holiday. So we're actually going to have the rates go up even more by having them at home. So why are we doing this? This is what? this is absolutely illogical what's going on. And we are making the same mistake we made in the first wave all over again. Like this is a reoffender situation. This is terrible.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because Alberta uh, is not only not shutting the small businesses, but they are announced today that they will not be sh- shutting schools. And you would think that the Ford government would mirror that that government. And they seem to be pandering more for political points. I mean, it may play well in the political picture of, you know, looking like you're shutting down schools. And I can only speak to my own situation of what I've seen with my seven-year-old of, of the effects mm-hmm. of a, an only child who has been uh, isolated, uh, frustrated, uh, anxiety, falling behind. Um, mm-hmm. But I speak to a lot of parents who tell me the detrimental effects. You speak with the parents of the autism community who are at Mm -hmm. their, not just their wits end, but their children are literally disappearing before their eyes. And then you've got marginalized children who are not getting into breakfast programs who are, uh, you know, abuses aren't being reported or they're just simply dropping out because uh, they don't have supports at home. Um, there's talk that there's going to be a completely lost generation. Do you think that's mm-hmm. too dramatic or over the top? we
3: that way, but we, we can't get out of this. We're locked in. This, you are absolutely right when you mentioned that this may not even stop on January 25th. We could lose a whole academic year until the case counts come down and case counts be damned. They don't matter. We're worrying about case counts for the purposes of the healthcare system. Kids do not get flattened by this disease. Even if kids get it, it's not that we welcome it. It is inconsequential, it's it's more inconsequential than the flu Mm -hmm. for kids. Yet we are chasing these numbers in kids like it's the stock market. I don't get this. And by the way, what you were just talking about, what I'm saying is that the lower socioeconomic groups are harmed the most, which is sounding like a message from the NDP. Yet when Mm -hmm. I heard the NDP criticism, they're actually saying this is a terrible thing that we're putting kids at risk. I don't see them jumping up and down and saying we should actually open the schools and actually make it happen. They're actually, in a way, blaming the poor government for cases and kids and blaming the poor government for community transmission, which unfortunately is not stoppable. And what's also happening is that we keep doing things, increasing the severity or austerity of the lockdowns. We we go from stage three to stage two modified to a lockdown. We're now talking about curfews maybe. We keep doubling down on a mistake and we don't end up winning. And so all that ends up happening is no one can get out of this. And then we say, oh, maybe if we stop school transmission, we will somehow protect older people from getting this disease. Because after all, that's community transmission that's amplifying in kids. That applies with the flu. It doesn't apply with this disease. Kids are receivers more than transmitters. Yes, it can happen the other way around where kids could give it to an older grandparent. But we can't stop every single case. That's what the whole balanced approach document that we wrote in the summer was trying to say we can't go for zero someone's aiming for an a plus in virus suppression and in the process of getting there they're leaving tons of damage in their wake and kids are now on the altar of sacrifice it's just crazy
1: do you have any kind of studies or data to show what the loss of, let's say, um, a year um, to a child, uh, be it an elementary kid or a high school ch- child, uh, maybe even college, but what is a loss of a year of interaction at school, maybe birthday parties, uh, lost summer camp? Have you got the kind of data that tells you what that the effects would be on, on, well, on young there's, kids? There's,
3: there's data on literacy and math delays and regression and reading ability, and that may mm-hmm. seem minor, but... If you're not living with uh, mom being a nice doctor specialist or lawyer, and you're living with someone whose education level isn't that high, then school yeah. is your big leverage. That That is a big social class mobile mobility agent we have in society. I sound like I'm speaking for the NDP, but of course the NDP doesn't even say what I'm saying. So This is what's unbelievable. It's become such a political football now that this is it's just yeah. unbelievable what we're seeing here. I'm, I'm really kind of despondent. <laughs> I should calm down and have a glass of wine. No, I'm just saying <laughs> – This is is really unbelievable that there are endpoints that have been observed through the first wave. So we've actually had a learning curve, and yet we're making all the same mistakes again. There needs to be national direction here leaving it to the provinces to do their own thing is leading to copycat peer pressure behavior. Oh, Quebec did a curfew. Let's try that as well. Alberta. Oh, they didn't do it. Oh, they're going to do it. Like, they do a lockdown because Ontario did lockdowns because a lot of kind of copying going on and no single cohesive voice. I think some of these things could be federally decided upon and followed in a uniform way. I don't think we have to have different approaches by province for some things as important as this. I don't I
1: get the sense, though, that there would be any other kinds of decisions. I mean, I, I think just from speaking to different parents, and and it's not even political, I think most parents you ask would say, I absolutely want my child, um, even if they possibly get sick, I want them to be in school because the long-term mental effects or the loss of um, education, and I know for a fact that that the kids are behind uh, are. are kids are, are at least six months behind trying to redo um, whole parts of uh, their their last year and now again they're going to fall apart this year and I don't yeah. hear anywhere in the planning of how we're going to get kids caught up but you can't well, replace things like birthday parties but I mean I, I don't think the decision making would be any different because what we're seeing now is a bunch of politicians not wanting to lose political capital um, and so yeah. they're and throwing jello at people
3: them. people on the science table who are very much in favor of this as well. It's all over the map. When, when the government tries to do something that Different from what the science table says, the science table says, oh, they're not listening to us. And so if anybody starts criticizing the government and they're sitting on the science table, then it becomes a news story. So I think the media, unfortunately, I use that word in a broad sense, is responsible for feeding the fear. I think there also also been a lot of experts who are not qualified, who have been making very strong statements about uh, keeping schools closed. And they're getting a lot of airtime and they're getting airtime on mainstream media and that's also been very uh, harmful because it's leading to sort of a media run a twitter run policy making practice i don't see enough justification by the Ford government as to why they chose this path after we wrote this letter giving them the best support we could give them i mean numerous specialists saying please open those schools come hell or high water and yet the decision is made within 12 hours of that letter being posted online that we are going to extend this online uh, and also province wide, by the way, not just right. even localized right. in the hot zones.
1: Right. So and, and just be- all. Yeah, which is which is also ridiculous. And And, and just before I let you go. Um, I mean, I don't get the sense that this is going to end uh, anytime soon. So we could very well see like the spring where this ends up, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of keeping the kids out. Um, but I also get the sense that there are a lot of doctors behind the scenes who won't say anything, but feel the same as you do, but they fear the repercussions of, of, yes. of a backlash if they say anything.
3: Yes. Okay. Correct. You, you get, you get subjected to a Twitter rampage. I've I've had that already done to me. And And yes, exactly. Other people who speak out are shut down. Uh, they take out, take down their Twitter account. So I have no social media presence. Lucky for me. But the, but the point is that even even without having a social media pre- uh, presence, I've been subjected to a Twitter rampage. That's the incredible thing about this. So yeah, you're right. There there is the sort of mob rule, Roman forum thing going on. Um, I also think that there's a, a blindness that some people, even as physicians, have to the suffering of those who are not able to weather the storm. And it's so easy to think about it from our perspective, saying, oh, I'm scared. My child might get COVID. I'm really worried. You have this affluent class of people driving the media narrative and driving the political narrative. It's really bizarre what's going on. I've never seen this in my career and I've never seen people repeat a mistake that was (laughs) made months before. Like we, we had a whole reckoning over the summer, realizing what went right, what didn't go right in the winter, and yet we're repeating the same mistakes. The, the, the school going online is, is just a, an absolute blunder. And even some of the lockdown enthusiasts, mm-hmm. the most fervent said that schools have to remain open. Of course, that's the one thing we shouldn't close. We can close strip clubs. We can close bars. We can close, you know, uh, tell people not to travel. But when it comes to schools, they have to stay open. Those same people now started saying, yeah, we should close schools because case numbers are high.
1: Well, they should. It, well, it is, but they should also uh, look up the uh, definition of insanity, because I think a lot of people need to uh, remind themselves. Doctor, I'm going to have you on again, because um, I think you speak a lot of sense. I wish more people heard it, and I really appreciate you uh, speaking and pushing back against this. Thank you. Thanks for having me again.
2: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: Young children, when they're going to get tested, it is now at 20%. So one in every five children under the age of 13, they're they're testing positive. That's not mentioning all the other kids that haven't been tested that might have a runny nose or a cough.
1: That's the premier, and as the doctor and I just discussed, they uh, they were safer in school uh, than they were out. So. There you go. But look, for parents, I think news of this closure, it's going to be a breaking point for a lot of people because not only are parents exhausted. I mean, I don't have nearly the energy I had in the spring. I don't know about you. Uh, But for those of you who have to work and you can't stay at home to do your job, I mean, what, what do you do? You either have to hire help or take time off from your work, which means either which way your paycheck's getting hit. And I mean, make no mistake, for anyone who doesn't have kids, um, you know, managing this online thing is a full-time job. It is confusing. The schedules change constantly. There are different links for every day, for every class. You got to get a sign in and then it expires. And oh my God, you know, you've got the younger kids who really struggle to pay attention. You've got the older kids who are so frustrated, um, you know, and developing things like anxiety. I mean, it, it was one thing to do this in the first wave, but this second time around, um, there's going to be a real, real struggle, I think. And, and certainly there's going to be a balance that has to be met between employer and employee. Uh, Catherine Marshall is an employment lawyer with Milburn Law. She's also a women's advocate who we have on the show quite often. Good to have you, Catherine. Thanks for having me. I should also point out that you're um, a self-anointed toddler wrangler because you've got a very young son. <laughs> I think he's one and a half, but you also have a daughter who's six. So you are a working mom who is also going through this. And, and, and so you understand the battle at hand.
2: Yes. Um, I completely uh, feel your pain when you say it's a full-time job. It, it absolutely is. Like You're just sitting there. Um, getting them onto the Zoom schedule and, and doing all of that. its um, Someone really has to be sitting with their, you know, their child, helping them with that, because um, small kids just don't have the tech skills or the focus to do it on their own.
1: No, and certainly, I mean, for the high school kids, I mean, there are there are their own struggles. I mean, you know, you've got a lot of kids who are just zoning out. They don't want to be there. They're not motivated, but at least they can log themselves onto a computer. Um, maybe a parent doesn't have to sit there and babysit them. But when you've got a younger child in elementary school, there has to be a parent or a caregiver there because they have to be taken care of. So there's a real problem now for working parents. Now, I'm lucky enough, uh, although it is really challenging I can work from home and and watch over his shoulder and do whatever I have to do but there are a lot of pa- parents that work shift work or you know they don't ha- they can't take time off and what's the obligation then between the employer and employee?
2: Yeah I mean this is uh where you know it really boils down to the fact that It seems a lot of these um, policies are being made kind of with this this assumption that most people are working from home. And the reality is, like, the majority of people's jobs they can't do from Zoom in their living room. So, you know, there's a lot of people who have to leave the house to go do their job. And what's going to end up happening and what happened in the spring is a lot of families with two parents that, that work, one of them has to make the decision to take a leave of absence or quit Um, to be the stay-at-home parent that does the homeschooling because of the fact that it requires a parent to be home. And um, usually that does end up being um, the women in the family because, you know, women are far more likely to be working part-time or, like, have more supplementary income. That's just like a a statistic thing. Um, And, uh, you know, it's going to be really bad for the job market.
1: It certainly will, um, but we don't even know how long this will last. They're saying two weeks, but I mean, I, with the numbers that we're seeing, I just—if they seem to think two weeks is a miracle cure—I could see this stretching on for, for weeks on end, as we saw it in the spring. In the spring, we were shut down on three hundred cases. We're at three thousand five hundred, um, and it's—it's it's interesting because Alberta is not only not shutting small businesses, but they're not shutting down their schools. I just, I don't understand the logic in such drastic difference policymaking because they've also got a lot of cases, but this becomes a real balancing act because, you know, it's not also fair to the employer uh, it's not their fault we're in this situation either. So I don't know what kind of supports are in place now or if any other supports are going to be put into place. But this is something mm-hmm. that the Ford government has to be able to accommodate because they can't just throw it all on to the employer because they're not the ones doing the shutdowns. You know, the really hard thing is for employers, um, they
2: obviously they, they have a duty. um, their workers up to the point of undue hardship and you know they have to accommodate families and parents, but you know, that only goes so far. To a certain extent, um, employers are allowed to say, hey, if you can't do your job and you can't be available during business hours when I need you because you're doing Zoom teaching with your child, then um, this is just not gonna work out. And um, the problem I think is that you know, a lot of people are very angry today uh, because they expected schools to reopen there was an expectation that it would. And we've been told for a while that schools are safe. And, you know, this trust um, that people have that, you know, things will reopen on schedules now totally eroded. And, um, you know, what really more can be done to make schools safe is the question I have because I think they seem quite safe. I mean, I know my daughter, she wears a mask all day. Her teacher has a mask. They're washing their hands, they're doing physical distancing they're not going to school, if they've got, you know, a runny nose or a cough. So really, what more um, can be done at this point? And I think there's a lot of fear of that uncertainty.
1: Right. But I just spoke with with the doctor. I mean, and what's interesting is before the break, um, we didn't have the transmission that we're seeing now. It was during the holidays when I guess everyone Mm -hmm. went to visit family that all of a sudden now kids are getting it because there was not spread in the schools. The schools were doing a terrific job of keeping um, the kids and the staff safe. And so, you know, unlike the spring shutdown, which was kind of novel and still a learning experience. I mean, I don't know if you're hearing from from people or, or you know, but there's a real burnout factor that play in this second time around because no one knows how long it's going to last. And it's also going into the darkest time of the year, January, February. It's a very trying time, uh, you know, at the best of times.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, look, people people are all pandemic fatigued. We're all burnt out. We're all overworked and have way too many things going on. And I, you know, I think people are very down and this is very mentally tough to parents, to, to children. Um, the stamina that was maybe there in, in the spring just isn't there anymore. Like most of the parents
1: I'm talking to today, they're, they're just like, I can't handle this. This is, this is too much. And yeah, there's no bread um, videos anymore, eh? No pots and pans.
2: Yeah, there is no, it, 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 there's a real shift in the mood and obviously, being win- the dead of winter definitely doesn't help with it. But it's just—I think—that uncertainty as well. Like we all kind of thought the worst was behind us, and it wasn't. And things are actually worse than they ever were before. And there's no clear pathway forward in terms of, you know, when is life going to be normal again? Um, but just the practical realities of parents now having to scramble to make plans because they thought school was going to be open. Um, next week. And it's not. It's, it's a real problem for most parents. And there really isn't any guidance or support. Right. At the end of the day, we're just being told it is what it is. And um, we all got to do this together. And, you know, <laughs> if for a lot of people. That's a big challenge.
1: Well, I think uh, we're gonna we're, we're retiring that we're in this together. Uh, BS talking point. I I never want to hear that talking point again because we're not in this together uh, at this point. We all know that, which is uh, part of the problem. It's just this tall talk but no action. Well, we'll uh, I guess we'll, we'll follow it along and see where it takes us. But uh, sure is a lot of stress for for parents uh, at this time, including yourself. I thank you for the time because I know you don't have a lot of it, but uh, I wish you the best of luck.
2: Thank you. Got to get those Zoom things printed out for
1: tomorrow's classes. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah, don't remind me. Don't remind me. Get some ink. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And paper. Uh, Catherine Marshall uh, is with Milburn Law. And uh, so there you go. And she's also a mom of two uh, dealing with this as well. Look, look, there was a a rush on toilet paper in the spring. I think there's going to be a rush on straitjackets for the second time around because uh, every parent I'm talking to is feeling the same frustration. Just really, really frustrated. I joined the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the vice president to remove this president by immediately invoking the 25th Amendment. If the vice president and the cabinet do not act, the Congress may be prepared to move forward with impeachment. Well, that's Nancy uh, Pelosi calling for President Trump to be removed from office immediately. And uh, there are growing calls from a, a number of Republicans and those in the business community saying he's got to go now to bring calm. Uh, Lindsey Graham came out today condemning what happened on Wednesday, calling it a self-inflicted wound that breaks his heart because he and Trump, I guess, were really good friends. And uh, President-elect Biden today said that had Black Lives Matter been involved, it would have been treated very differently. I found those comments to be a little bit uh, dangerous for him to say. But nonetheless, what we saw with the violence of these groups, certainly Black Lives Matter and Antifa for years, um, you know, what we saw yesterday, uh, To me, none of it's justified at all. But if calm is what leader, you know, want, the leaders want, I don't know how these kinds of comments are going to bring anything other than more division. Steve Dace is host of The Steve Dace Show on Blaze TV. He joins us now. And uh, we talked to you a few weeks ago and you actually predicted that, you know, Trump would do a scorched earth exit. Uh, But did you predict or think it would be that bad as as what you saw yesterday?
0: Oh, I thought it could be worse. I think you're... Uh, looking at a country that is in the throes of a cold civil war. And um, what's happened in the last couple of decades is uh, a spirit of the age element has emerged within the American left. You know, a lot of our political differences in America, we had some uh, systemic cultural differences, how to approach the Soviet Union, for example, the abortion issue. But even amidst those, a lot of our issues were pretty much a little left of center, a little right of center, uh, and then we could find ways in between election cycles to still live together. In the Mm -hmm. last couple of decades, uh, a spirit of the age has emerged in the American left that has decided to turn politics into religious zealotry, uh, and it's become a zero-sum game, Alex, meaning that if you have the wrong opinions, um, and you see this in the Canadian left and in the Western left, frankly— have the wrong opinions, you can't have a job in some industries, uh, you can be deplatformed, not have a voice, treated as a second-class citizen. And the problem with doing that in America is that um, the church and its influence in America is diminished from where it was 50 years ago, but it is still far more influential than it is in your country or almost any other western country. Also, our people own a lot more guns than they do in all those other countries. So when you throw that those two things in, There's going to be a lot more resistance to just rolling over and uh, playing compliant for uh, leftist statism. And the Republican Party has decided that it doesn't want to be a peaceable platform for people like that to have their grievances heard, but uh, instead wants to be whores for corporate America instead. And so now you have people that feel as if their voices can't be heard. They can be shunned. Maybe their votes won't be counted. They just watched this summer. You know, I, ironically, I agree with uh, Joe Biden that if it was Black Lives Matter yesterday, it would have been treated differently. Because based on what I saw on my television screen this summer, what would have happened is the police would have stood down and just let them have carte blanche in their run of the place. Because that's what we saw this summer. They just did whatever they wanted. I mean, they could hold, Antifa could hold uh, courthouses and, and, and city, nine city blocks in Seattle hostage for two months if they wanted to do that. Nobody did a dang thing. So he's right. They would be treated differently. But the other way, instead, a young woman, 14 year Air Force veteran who should not have been doing what she was doing. But but and she's surrounded already by police and then she gets gunned down in cold blood. Um, There's a two tier justice system in America. If you believe men have periods in a uterus, you can say and do whatever you want. And if you don't, then you be you are deplatformed. And so What's happened now, since the left has decided that politics is a zero sum game, we have no intention of uh, living with you, serving with you, sharing with you, accommodating you. The right has finally decided Then I guess if the answer is no, the answer is no. And so we're at a we're at a very troubling brink in America right now.
1: Yeah, you tweeted out that yesterday began as a beautiful display of the spirit that made America. It ended with an ugly scene that left us angry, confused and saddened. It's an omen of what's to come without the right leadership. But who or what is the right leadership? I mean... What we saw yesterday um, should not have happened. Not not in your country, not in our country. It should not be happening in any kind of Western, uh, de, you know, democracy. I mean, th- the only gain to be made here is, is by Iran and, and China and Russia, who will uh, prosper from from the division I- in these democracies. Um, but but where do you see this going? Like, what is the right leadership? I mean, Trump. Is very divisive and bombastic. And, um, you know, he he's made it very let me, difficult. Let me address that. Yeah. There's, he
0: has is, he is all those things. And I'm not even a Trump fan. I didn't even vote for him the first time. But the reality is, if you put somebody up there that said, please and thank you, hey, y- y- please, Facebook, could you not ban people that don't believe men have a period? And we really appreciate it. And we'll give you some tax cuts to make sure you continue. No, you're all banned. The Trump thing's an excuse. Because the reality is, if you said everything nice, if you said everything please, thank you, and and with with, with heaping else-like heaves of sugar on top of it, the answer would still be no. The, 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 The left in America has made an offer, and here is its offer. We will slit your throat or you'll do it for us. That's it. That's the offer. There's no accommodation. It's all or nothing. Your churches will teach our cultural rot gut. Your libraries will do drag queen story time hour. Um, that's it. Your, your kids won't go to school, won't have sports teams, um, and you'll wear a useless Chinese face diaper that we all know in real time. We all see the data. They don't work. But you'll wear it until we damn well tell you to take it off just because we told you to. That's the offer. And so – and then I don't know – and then if you do beat us at elections – we run to the courts where judges are unelected, and we find some federal judge to issue a universal injunction and just make up the law from the bowels of his totally depraved mind. That, that is, a, when you take away the, the pressure valves, Trump is the coroner, not the murderer. Trump is the result of the zero-sum game that the left has turned this into. People felt desperate, like they often do historically, and feel like, fine, fine. If the system won't listen to me, I guess i got to get my own strong man then. i got to get my own authoritarian then. i got to get my own bully then. Trump is the result. He's not changed, altered, anything. He's the kind of figure people turn to when they are desperate. And the Republican and s- Party had 30 years to, be more dig- to offer more dignified but principled re- uh, resistance to what was going on in the Democratic Party. It chose to pass and line its pockets with corporate America's money instead. So here we are at this impasse right now.
1: Well, it wasn't so long ago that Mitt Romney was considered the most dangerous man. And you look back to those years and you think, okay, well, this is what you you get as a result. So where do you see this going? I mean, the next 14 days, there's going to be an inauguration. Joe Biden will come in, become president, uh, is the president. Um, The Republicans have to figure this out or there's going to be, um, you know, a fundamental major shift. I mean, what does the Republican Party look uh, like moving forward?
0: The Republican Party will either adapt or it will die. What you saw in Georgia is not even Trump to get his people to vote in the numbers they needed. Because Trump's never been the one. There's this notion, the system has concocted this notion so that it can avoid any self-awareness. And the notion is everything was hunky-dory till Trump came along and deceived as a con man all these people. That's not true. What you saw in Georgia is Trump does not control his base. He campaigned better and harder in Georgia than Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue did. He went all in for them. He went to the mattresses for them, multiple rallies. His own family members went after people in his base on Twitter who were telling people, screw the Republican Party, don't vote, and totally telling him, that's bad, that's wrong, don't do that. Trump's base carries him, not the other way around. And his base has clearly decided, hey, the Republican Party doesn't want us. So we're going to start taking no for an answer then. And so the Republican Party will adapt or die. It's going to have a decision to make. One of the best things that have, could have happened to it was corporate America coming out today saying we're pulling our money out. That might be the best thing that happens to it because that might be the only chance the party at this point has to survive. I mean, you're game planning out in four years. Brother, I don't know that you've got six months. I mean, if I would have said if I had come on your show, Alex. The first second or the first or second week of the 15 days to flatten the curve back in March. And I would have said to your audience, nine months from now, you'll be told not to celebrate Christmas. You won't take your kids to the mall to sit on Santa's lap. Um, And you won't be able to even go to a mall if it's open without wearing a diaper on your face. You won't be able to buy or sell without it over a virus with a point two infection fatality rate. You'd have told me I was nuts. That's exactly what happened. These things are, are decelerating and devolving swiftly. And so there's not years to figure this out. There's, there's weeks and then there's months. It's very clear the current, current leadership of the Republican Party, like McConnell, has no interest in representing the average American. I mean, he won't be bullied into sending you two grand, but he doesn't have to be bullied into sending millions of dollars to study gender studies in Pakistan. All right. That's a giant F.U., and the system has been saying "fu" to the average American for a long time. And the average American has finally gotten the message. And so here we are.
1: Just quickly before I let you go, I mean, Mike Pence is said to be furious. I mean, it was Blaze that actually reported that. He feels very betrayed. Uh, he was the one that called in the National Guard. What are the next uh, couple of weeks look like? Um, are we going to see more of what we saw yesterday?
0: Well, Mike Pence was betrayed. He was set up to fail by Trump. But it's kind of, uh, I would call it cosmic. Because several years ago, as governor of Indiana, he did that to religious freedom in the First Amendment and trashed it and set the stage for what the left in America has tried to do to the First Amendment ever since. And so he did to us on the First Amendment what Trump did to him yesterday on the Twelfth Amendment. So douche move, bro. But you know what? You reap what you sow.
1: Interesting times. Nonetheless, not sparing any words. Uh, Steve, I appreciate you joining us. Thank you. You bet. You can join us live each night starting 6.30 sharp Monday through Friday. Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio.